Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. Well, good morning. This is the 23rd, I believe, of, uh, of March 2020. And this may become known as the uh, first day of the new era. Possibly, possibly, might, you know, there's a chance, because from today, everything has changed. We have got to do things totally differently. But unfortunately, we've been doing these things for fun, mostly, for ages. Now, I'm in the process of setting up two offline offices because both my wife and I are working from home today. Yesterday she learnt from home. Today I'm teaching from home. Different subjects. I have to find pieces of equipment I have not used in decades but have. Some would say hoarded. I would not say hoarded. I would say protected, saved, kept, maintained, looked after, kept until kept for a rainy day. Today it is raining everywhere on the planet. Now, I saw a television programme in 1975 called Survivors, which I made uh, a point of telling the world about a couple of days ago when I released uh, a podcast with um, the theme tune in it. That story was all about what happens when um, a world such as ours, technologically advanced, but absolutely uh, dependent on technology, loses 99.9% of the population. Now, that is not what is happening here at all. That is not going to happen. That does uh, the, the story was made that bad because I think the writers, Terence Dix, could not really imagine that uh, the <laughs> the magnitude of the disruption caused by simply people worrying about getting ill and some absolutely definitely dying. So in his story, he killed almost absolutely everybody and called the thing survivors. Talking about the the very few who did not actually die. Now, this is a bigger story than that imaginary one. This is the story of how to keep going when just about everybody is still alive and everybody needs everything that everybody used to spend 24-7, practically, creating. Now, that was the, uh, the understanding of... Um, uh, the world before the world changed yesterday it didn't change yesterday it changed two weeks ago but uh, we started 
behaving as if it changed this morning. <laughs> I'm looking at tidying up, looking for cables, looking for things that uh, I haven't seen in, in a very, very long time. Um, that have gone with us to Australia, have come back, have been locked up in, a, in cellars for years that uh, have, um, I need that. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll plug this in now before I, oh, before I forget. Um, this is a USB extension cable because now we've got to make cables snake everywhere. We've got to do it smoothly and gently and in a way that doesn't break. And this extension will do just that for a recycled clock. It wasn't a clock when it was built. It was an iPhone 4. An absolutely superb, incredible piece of technology that I lusted after for years. Well, actually decades. Oh, well, a decade. Never thought I'd get one because I was never rich enough. But I got one because it broke and I got it. I got a broken one. And of course I fixed it. By the time I got it and fixed it, the software necessary to do anything much useful with it was no longer available. But a thing it can still do is operate as a clock. So I've stuck some blue tech across the bottom and running some old software in it. Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm finding bits that are very useful. <laughs> yeah, I'm using it as a bedside radio clock. Um, in 1978, I started work in the post office and on day one bought myself uh, a tape recorder that I use for recording the extremely large number of diary tapes I recorded from then on. Now, those tapes I do not have access to because they're um, in, in Birmingham in the process of being copied onto digits uh, from uh, machines that can still replay the tapes uh, for the purpose of uh, archiving as a national treasure. Now, that's a bit bizarre, isn't it, really? I mean, who'd have thought my recordings of ephemera would be national treasures? Well, it's becoming clear that that is very much the case. Because now we may not have groups of people going around in large numbers going to things like proms. We may not have large numbers of people in tube trains waiting to um, get things done, to going to work, crowding onto things, crowding off things. It could be that from now on the only time we'll be in a crowd is in a state of panic. I'm not looking forward to that. I don't like crowds ever, anyway. But, you know, it's, a, it's an aspect of modern life until yesterday. Well, until a couple of days ago. <laughs> Things change very fast. Now, somebody might all of a sudden say, oh no, this is too much stress. Let's forget about it and 
don't worry about it and go silent about everybody dying and uh, life carries on as normal. And people who die, well, they die because they're stupid, aren't they? No, that's a, a possibility. Two days later, guess who said what? Yeah, Mr Trump, he came out with exactly that. That could, that could be uh, a way the world might cope with these circumstances. I wouldn't like it if it did, but I could see it happening. Uh, it would certainly be cheaper that way, wouldn't it? I was going to rush that wonderful verbiage out so that it could be transmitted on the 24th of March, but I didn't. I had too much work to do. I've been trying to set up teaching for my students and uh, get my wife's system working so that she could maintain a job. Unfortunately, the work that we did eventually manage to get her to be able to do has run out, so she can't keep the job anyway. Oh, dear. And so, what do we do? We're going to contact Universal Credit. No, we're not. They've shut. How do you manage to get Universal Credit when you're self-employed, or in this case, self-unemployed, and you should... I have some uh, respite from uh, the gutter, uh, courtesy of um, uh, the great British government. But no, it's not going to happen because the offices are closed and there's no forwarding number nor anything else. This is a question for tomorrow. We shall work it out. Now, the good people who um, work around the barking area during the day appear to be indoors because they don't appear outside apart from the window cleaners i thought what's that going on there and then i saw the shadow of the, of the ladder coming across next door's window and i thought um shall i go out and say now look here you you you've just been told by the uh, the uh, the prime minister that you shouldn't be out in the streets this time you're hardly essential workers are you what is the definition of essential work? If you can't eat and you need money, your work is essential. So I didn't. <laughs> but they could well be going from house to house spreading viruses as they go with their infected rags wiping the windows dirty. But who knows? Um, it's as likely as any other contact. I, I found a tape recorder online that I wanted. Exactly the sort that I used when I recorded my, uh, my archive recordings that I love so greatly and speak so often of on this podcast. A Toshiba PT862 owned by a Frenchman. And it's in the post now. This is essential traffic. Well, I know, no, it isn't, but I, I want it. Uh, and it's going to arrive. Nobody's going to notice exactly what it is, and it's going to arrive at the door. Some person's going to have done it. Postage, apparently, is not affected by the general lockdown. Maybe it should be. But apparently, if something's wrapped in cardboard, um, you're less likely to be infected by it because the virus eats the cardboard or something along those lines has never been fully explained quite why cardboard is um, a, a safe carton to hold but anyway so it is and i'm getting my tape recorder in a couple of days
a thing that happened today also was when I was setting up my computers, my chair broke, which wasn't nice. And the chair also was not nice. Um, when I was sitting in it, it gave me backache. And my wife's chair does the same for her back. We're, we've got fairly old backs, so um, it would be nice to get some fairly new chairs to make them feel comfortable. It turns out that if you can send tape recorders through the post, quite possibly you can send chairs as well. So in a minute, we'll go and have a look and see if the good people of eBay or, or um, some other vendor, they do exist apparently, uh, would uh, be able to send us something, which would be quite nice. And maybe we could say that seeing as how we are working from home and require this as essential equipment, maybe somebody else will pay for it for us. But, you know, it's worth a try, isn't it? It's a thought. Now, I would like to talk about universal basic income, which is going to be mentioned uh, in half an hour on Radio 4, I believe, the podcast, which I hope this would be, is still transmitting on Ambron Radio as we speak and as I'm speaking over it. But if you were to go immediately afterwards and listen to the iPlayer version uh, of uh, the program that I'm about to miss, um, you'd be able to get some idea of whether or not Universal Basic Income worked in Alaska, I believe it is. I think the answer is yes, it did. It increased the quality of life for people, which is, after all, what we're talking about. I mean, that's what we want to live for, isn't it? We don't want to live just to work, just to increase the gross domestic product, which is gross and nothing to do with domesticity and is all to do with products, which don't actually help any individual. So... The, the quality of life is something that is valuable and should be put above all other things, as long as it does not impinge on the quality of anybody else's life. So, I think that Alaska could be claimed to be a, an excellent example of universal basic income working. Now, if people sitting at home trying to work from home but can't because they haven't got any jobs or things along those lines, are getting paid 80% of their, of their otherwise earned income from the government. That is as close to basic income as you can expect to get. In fact, it's probably a great deal more. I think people will like this. I think also it's quite possible that when we've decided that the money which we have borrowed, in inverted commas, from these magical um, holders of vast sums of money that they haven't done anything with at all, ever, and expect us to give back <laughs> after we've earned it through blood, sweat and tears for years, when they realise that they can just say, no, we printed the money, we can pretend it doesn't exist, therefore you don't need to give it back. I think we're going to completely forget about these debts. And then, when there is no interest to pay, when there are no financial lingering problems, people will realise that paying people to just exist is cheaper than getting them to work. Because the amount of stuff 
certain damage that is done by just generating jobs is one of the reasons that we've got an environmental problem which is, um, in effect, what we're suffering from now. Because the coronavirus is this big and this bad because our environment has been pushed to breaking point. Now, yes, we did have a uh, um, Spanish flu. Now, that was just after World War I, which, if you remember, was probably fairly environmentally shitty as well. So I think this is just as another indication that uh, the planet doesn't like us mucking it up and fights back. I'm not saying it's a conscious, uh, a conscious reaction on behalf of Gaia, but he, <laughs> why not? <laughs> the closer I get to thinking, these thoughts that I've had in the past are too real that I believe that uh, there has to be some sort of mind behind it. It's, it's, it's just too coincidental to be accidental. So, well, anyway, so guy is a good enough answer for me. So, yes, universal basic income, I think, is what we're going to have. But that will be a step towards actually getting rid of all money itself. Because, as I've said, it doesn't cost people any, it doesn't cost anybody anything for somebody to be sitting in a house just sort of existing. Um, they've got uh, the electricity, you know, it's, uh, the gas possibly, but that's going to be electricity shortly because we're going to run out of gas or at least should stop using it before we run out of gas. And the electricity can be generated by solar power, by geothermal power, by wind power, things which are renewable. And once these, the infrastructure has been set up, free. Therefore, why should anybody have to pay for it? answer nobody. Now food will grow in the ground perfectly adequately without anybody throwing pound coins at it. You do though need to water it. No you don't need to fertilize it. There are worms. They do that really quite well. You do need to pick it up and take it away and prepare it in some way shape or form. Well there's a lot of people going to be sitting around doing nothing so they might quite enjoy doing that. It'll be better than going to the going to gyms to uh, um, exercise. They could do something valuable, worthwhile with their energy, rather than waste it trying to uh, cycle up an invisible hill on a bike that doesn't move. <laughs> Idiocy. <sighs> yeah, well, that's what I think. You can use your energies to achieve something worthwhile, which would otherwise be wasted on achieving soddle in a gym. Now, there's another little thing that you could get rid of. And it would be healthier, and it would be pleasant, universally beneficial, and you wouldn't have to pay to do it. You'd effectively get paid to do it by the fact that you'll be getting food. There you go, you know, these and so many other little things. When turned up the other way, you can see that by doing something that you would normally be paid to do as a job, by doing that, you get the benefit of whatever it is you do, and so does everybody else. And you benefit from what they do. 
that you do not any longer need to exchange some credit note to prove that you've done something, therefore you're worthy of the produce created by somebody else or somebody else's intellectual effort. The intellectual effort these days, and quite a lot of the the physical stuff, is going to be done uh, by uh, computers and, and, and robotic stuff anyway. Now, that is going to happen with or without coronavirus getting in the way and destroying the old social order. Now, that was the route we were heading along. It's going to be sped up colossally. When we last had, or when we first had, a major and historical recorded um, Black Death attack, serfs all of a sudden became capable of selling their jobs. And the old social network broke down and people could sell their skills, their effort, their time. It was given a value which, until there weren't enough people to do the jobs, did not exist. A landowner could say, you do this, or I'll give you something so that you stay alive, but if you don't like it, sort off, I'll get somebody else to do it, because, you know, they're starving, and they'll be quite happy to do something if you won't do it for nothing, or just slightly above nothing. And that wasn't good enough for serfs when all of a sudden there were fewer of them and their skills were in short supply and high demand and well, there you go supply and demand worked and worked and worked and worked and we got the industrial revolution and things were hunky and dory and then all of a sudden we started to choke on our effluent which wasn't very clever But because of what we have done, because of all the stuff we have built, the pedestals that we can um, look down on the world from, we can move up somewhere else. We We can be better people, be better custodians of the planet from now on. We wouldn't have been able to do it had we not gone through that process. But we could perhaps not have laid waste to so much of the planet in the process. We could have have gone into uh, some sort of a green utopian world, what, 30 years ago. But we didn't because the infrastructure that was in position was vastly too expensive and so much money was possible to be able to get out of it. And and people said, oh, no, if you're going to destroy the financial system, nobody will be able to get any money from their pension schemes and and, uh, all their savings, their life work will be rubbed out and and, uh, rendered uh, null and void. And, well, uh, yes, but... If you get rid of the entire system, then people don't need money to survive in a pensionable age. And (laughs) all these other things become pointless statements. You have all you need to live. You have everything you need to have a decent life. And you won't have to pay for it because effectively we already have. And... The equipment that we have built, the technologies, the systems, the society, the civilization that we have built up over the decades, indeed the millennia, 
will be able to carry us on to greater wonders and bring the rest of the world up to our level, in inverted commas, without them having to go through the destructive phase that we needed to go through. Other countries are sidestepping, skipping over what we've done. Saudi Arabia has gone straight from tents in a desert to, um, um, well, whatever Bahrain could be described as these days. And they know that their oil is about to run out and they can't keep using it. They haven't got water either. And so they're using solar power to get themselves water and to bolster up their ability to be top dogs by being in the lead when it comes to renewable power. Well, that's, that's great, fantastic, but that world order isn't going to stay for very long either, because when anybody can generate power, you don't need to go anywhere else to get it, do you? You won't need to pay Saudi Arabia or, or Donald Trump or anybody to do it. All you do is stick it on the roof or in the garden or anywhere, and you have your power. Yeah, that's the future we're going to get to. Or... We're going to go back into um, banging the rocks together, guys. And with a festive period upon us, we now venture into a den of yuletide debauchery, beset with awkward colleagues, friends, grinches, alcoholics, and office Christmas party. This is Amber. She joined the office herd one month previously, and with her place in the pack still uncertain, she's hoping that the Christmas party will provide her with a venue in which to merrily share in festive cheer and firm up her social standing on the corporate ladder. To put that plainly, she wants to get drunk and make friends. Let's follow her on this exciting escapade. Her first obstacle is known in the wild as a conversation circle. A tight-knit group of friends have bonded together and Amber struggles to break the siege, this fortress of camaraderie, leaving her on the outside, attempting to stave off loneliness with her cellular device. But there are only so many times one can swipe left and right on her home screen. She needs to make her move. It's now or never. She has opted for the bold strategy of laughing loudly to try to break into the circle. However, she has mistimed the conversational flow and has laughed at a heart-wrenching tale about a recently deceased pet. Her only option now is to retreat into the darkness. Across the room, we find the office manager. His antics attempt to portray a similar humour. But his ruse has failed, and he comes across as nothing more than what he is, a desperate man, afraid of the quite probable prospect of dying alone. After several merry beverages, the office manager now has a tie around his forehead, a physiological display indicating, look at me, I'm a fun guy, please believe me, I'm a fun guy. With this confidence-boosting fashion statement, he's got up the courage to dance with a partner. This is certainly a night he will never forget. 
self-proclaimed intellectual attempts to impress a female by telling her that karaoke is actually Japanese for empty orchestra. Thankfully for the human race, no one cares. As is typical of any social gathering, one music lover has appointed himself DJ, owing to them having seen Calvin Harris one time whilst they were at university. Despite frequent song requests, the office's David Guetta guards the orcs cable like a dragon guarding its treasure and rebuffs all oncomers. However, Amber is not one to shy from a battle. She performs the subtle duck below the table and change the song manoeuvre without being seen. Swiftly done. But in the end, Christmas is a time to come together. A time for humanity to set aside their differences and share in a festival of joy, revelry and copious amounts of alcohol. That was one in the series of Torty Talks from Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk.